Well, good morning, One Church. How's everybody doing today? All right. Man, there's some woos in there and everything. That's great. Let me just say this. Um, personally, thank you for the last five Sundays. Um, this has been a great way to, to, to get involved at One Church and, uh, and join the team here. My name's Joel. I'm the family pastor, uh, if we haven't met yet. Um, and there's a good chance we have, and because I'm terrible at names, uh, I won't remember, so just, you know, act like it's the first time when we talk, but it's been a real joy to, to be able to, to be a part of this series with you all. Um, I've been amazed at the welcome that, that my family and I have received, the love that, that's already been shown to us, um, and we're just so excited to be here, and we look forward to the days ahead. Um, I'm also really thankful for, for those of you that have found me in between services, or you've emailed me during the week. Um, and just let me know some really tough stuff. I can't tell you how many people have, have just come to me or, or, or reached out to me and just said, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And, and the, the vulnerability, the courage that it's taken you to, to say that, um, I'm appreciative for that. Um, I, I don't claim to have any answers, but I do uh, claim to be somebody who looks to God's word for that, and that's what this journey's been about. Looking into... Uh, what, what an encounter with Jesus can do to us and for us and in us and through us. And so for reaching out to me, I say thank you. And for reaching out to Jesus and to his word, I say thank you. And I say keep it up. And I say let's keep on this journey together as we move next week into a new series called Bold. It's going to be a great opportunity to be challenged in your faith to kind of go to that next level. And I feel like there's a lot of people that are just teetering on that edge of leaving a life of being stuck and moving into a life that is bold, that is courageous. So I commend you and I pray for you and I am honored to join you on the journey. Four weeks ago, we we started this Stuck series in John 3 where we talked about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. We saw a man who was stuck in religion, stuck in, in doing work as a way of earning favor and love and acceptance from God. And we saw that only an encounter with Jesus could change Nicodemus's mindset. So much so that at the end of the book of John, we see that Nicodemus is somebody who's come from night to day. He, is, he has come from hiding in religion into a full-fledged faith in Jesus Christ, where he is one of those who is with uh, the men and women who are taking the body of Jesus down from the cross and bearing it. You see, his faith is following Jesus because of that encounter. The next week we went to John 4 and we saw Jesus' encounter with the the Samaritan woman, this woman at the well. We saw a woman who was defining herself by relationship after relationship after relationship, hoping that it would fix a cycle of pain and, and abandonment, but it didn't. What did bring cure to her life, what did bring love and acceptance was Jesus and faith and acceptance of him and an encounter with him. The week after that, we went to John 5, and we met the invalid man at the well who was looking for an external fix, never realizing that it's an internal encounter, faith, trust in Jesus that can change everything. He was stuck to his mat, and Jesus challenged him. Jesus confronted him with the true water of life that can change life. Last week, we were in John 6, where Jesus encountered the 5,000, these people who were following Jesus, looking for more stuff from him, thinking if he can give me this or give me that, never realizing that it's the bread of life, it's faith in a life in him that changes everything. 
We've gone through religion, relationships, circumstances, stuff. All things that, 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 that many of us have been stuck in, in the past or unfortunately now. Today we're going to look at what it's like to be stuck in sin. And John 8 gives us a, a great snapshot of, of this life, of, of a life of being stuck in sin. In fact, this story that we're going to look at today has a little bit of all of them. We, we see the, the Pharisees, these men of religion, these men of the religious law, this tradition, bringing a woman who had been caught in adultery or relationships. So we have people stuck in religion taking a person who's stuck in relationships and they drag her to Jesus. They want to execute her. So she's facing the circumstances of her choices, the circumstances of, of, of choosing a life outside of that. And all of these religious types who are stuck in religion, who have this woman who's stuck in relationships, who's now stuck in her circumstances, and they're holding their stones, which is their stuff. It's a bit of a stretch, but work with me here, okay? Maybe, maybe it's not that one totally, but we see a lot of what we've chatted about the last few weeks popping up here in John 8. What we have here is a bad, bad, sticky situation of this woman that we find at the beginning of John chapter 8. Have you ever been caught red-handed? One year, uh, when I was in high school, I was dating a, a vixen, a siren named Sandy with an I, so you know she's a vixen. Sandy came into my life like a whirlwind of love. And she, anything she asked me to do, anything she wanted me to do, I would probably do it. One night, we were talking on the phone at our house, and this was pre-cell phone, so we had the super long stretchy cord, and I had to like wind down the stairs and around the corner and into the room and close the door, and I tripped every member of my family so I could talk to Sandy all by myself. Sandy said, let's cut school tomorrow. Never done that before, but if Sandy wants to, and if it makes Sandy think I'm the stuff, let's do it. So we created a morning of, of, of romantic intrigue and romantic connection at the Bob's Big Boy down the street from our house. We went to breakfast together. We had this romantic breakfast and cut the first three periods of school that day. And then we said, well, we better, better slide in because if we don't show up, they're going to call our folks. So I said to Sandy, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? She's like, I'm just going to tell them uh, I had a doctor's appointment. And I said, well, okay, I'll say that too. And she goes, no, 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 you can't say you have a doctor's appointment because I have a doctor's appointment. We can't roll in at the same time. It's going to look suspicious. Ah, Sandy, my vixen of love. I'll say I had an orthodontist appointment. So there at the Bob's Big Boy at our table, as we pushed away our final plates, we wrote our notes from our mothers saying why we were late to school so we could turn them in at the front desk. We got up to the front desk and Sandy handed hers. They gave her a hall pass, and she went off to school. They wrote me a hall pass as I gave my note, and I went off to class. I was home free. A morning of love at Bob's Big Boy with Sandy with an I. Skipped my first three periods of school. Just got four more to go, and I'm out. How great a day is this? I got home that afternoon, and I was, I was total suburban latchkey kid, all right? My mom worked as, as long as I can remember, so I always came home early to an empty house. I let myself in. I made myself a snack, and I watched cartoons. 
because I was addicted to food and TV. And anyway, uh, that's another stuck series down the road, uh, addicted to TV and food. But when I got home that day and I opened the door, my mom was sitting on the couch in the living room. I said, hi, mom. Never, never saw my mom. My mom came home at five or six in the evening. Said, What's going on? She said, just wanted to see you. How was school? School was great. All seven periods were outstanding. She said, yeah, what'd you learn? I said this and that. She said, how was first period? First period was good. You know, I'm tired. How was second? Ah, you know, second period is this. It was okay. What about third period? I said, oh, third period was good. Why do you ask? She said, I was just wondering why you weren't there. The school called me and said that you came in tardy and that you gave them a note from me. And then she said, if you ever want to write a note for me, please spell orthodontist correctly. You ever been caught red-handed? You ever been totally caught with your hand in the cookie jar or your hand in the wallet, your hand on the car keys or your hand on the doorknob coming in late one night? Didn't happen to me any time recently except last night when I was trying to sneak into the Edmondson's house. And I set off the alarm, scaring all the woodland creatures on Edmondson Ferry. Yowzers. Have you ever been caught red-handed? What about if today, it wasn't trying to cut school or sneak a cookie or sneak in late to the Edmondson's house? What if your deepest, darkest, terrible, greatest sins, take to the grave sins, were exposed for all the world to see? What if today you went home to your house, had a good morning at church and a good lunch with your family, and you slide home, and you turn on the TV, and you get into the recliner, and you are barely on the edge of that Sunday afternoon nap that is given from the love and heart of a gracious God through the Holy Spirit empowerment of rest. You are on the edge of that, and then all of a sudden, the door kicks open. A flash grenade rolls in. A couple of real spooky 101st Airborne type come clashing through the window. Many of them are like, dude, I just saw that guy at church and now he's crashing through my window. What if they come rolling in, throwing their flash grenades, and they come in and before you know it, you are yanked off of your recliner. You are thrown on the floor. You are hogtied and you are carried off. And not only are you caught and, and carried off, you are then taken to this mock trial and you are laid down before a judge in a crowd who's got bats and chains, and clubs, and stones, and they are ready to execute you because what you have done is so grievous, so sinful, because you've been caught, because of your sin. And the worst part is not the shock, the surprise, the scary guys, the scary situation. That's not the worst part. The worst part is that your sin that you committed, your sin that you held inside of you, your sin that you thought you were going to take to the grave is what puts you there, and you know you deserve what you're about to get. Sin is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad thing. It literally means, when you see sin in the New Testament, when you see sin in the Bible, it literally means an offense towards God that we are guilty of. So anytime you see sin in there, it's talking about you and the things that you've done that have offended God. If you really wanted to unfold the word sin, it's deep. It is a deep, complicated word. And it's all boiled down in our English to three letters. 
But in the New Testament, in the original language, the intention of the biblical writers was to give a word that was deep and convicting to you and to me. Not only does it mean an offense towards God that we are guilty of, it means a break from the truth. It means a breaking of the law. It means that we stand opposite of truth. It means an act that we have done willfully. And it literally means wickedness. Every bit of sin, every bit of sin that we commit is considered wicked in the eyes of Scripture. And we do this, Scripture tells us that that sin, we do this because there is a deficit of the gospel in our life. And we have choose to, to do something that is selfish and lewd. It's only three letters, but there's a lot to it. You can get synonymous with the word sin in the New Testament, and it can mean ignorance, unrighteousness, wrath, lawlessness, wrong, violation, conspiracy, ungodliness, disobedience, obstinate, false step, a deception of where you once started, a crime, a loss, a defeat, a disobedience to divine regimen, and that you will punch kittens in their furry little throat. Sin is deep and painful. And every time it shows up in Scripture... Every time you see that little three-letter word, it is laying all of those things on you and on me. Psalm 51 tells us that surely we were sinful at our birth. Surely we were sinful in our mother's womb before we had a chance to breathe air or to walk a step on this earth. We were all of these things. We were ignorant, unrighteous, wrathful, lawless, violating, making an offense towards God. We were all of those things before we ever had a minute outside of our mother's womb. Romans 6.12 tells us that sin reigns over our bodies. So as we come out into this world, sin is reigning over us. Galatians 3.22 says the whole world, every single one of us, is prisoner to sin. John 8, 34, just a little bit down from the story we're talking about this morning. John 8, 34 calls us slaves to sin. So not only are we prisoners, we're slaves to it. It is our master. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us again and again that we were dead, dead in our sins. So not only are we born in it, not only do we walk in it, not only are we slaves to it, we are dead because of it. You and me. If anything could ever make us stuck, it's sin. If anything could ever make us stuck, it is sin. And Scripture shows that it is something deep and infectious. And Scripture shows us that if we are given the choice, we will always, always, always choose to commit sin, choose to stand apart from God. So it is very likely, very likely, That someone will and should kick down your door today, roll in a flash grenade, come storming through your windows and hogtie you and carry you away. And it is only because of the patience of a good God that it hasn't happened yet. It is only because of the patience of God that we are given another day. Another day, no matter what we're carrying inside of us, no matter how stuck in sin we are, it is only because of the patience of God. So I ask you again, what would you do if your deepest, darkest, take them to the grave sins were made known? What would you do if that affair became known? What would you do if that theft became known? What would you do if that drunken fight 
became known? What would you do if that addiction became known? What would you do if that abuse became known? What would you do if that fill in the blank with whatever is your deepest, darkest, take it to the grave sin? What if you were totally, fully, completely revealed today, right now? The woman in John 8, at the center of this story, she was revealed. John tells us that she was caught, caught in adultery. I mean, she was laying in bed with this guy, this affair partner. She was laying in bed with him, and she was revealed. She was revealed as a home-wrecking whore. She was revealed. Revealed to what the crowd says, and sadly revealed to who she was. Based on how guilty you and I are feeling right now, it's probably good. We're like, whew, at least it's her and not me. The heat is off for now. But scripture shows us that we are guilty. And the crowd, they will return for you. They will return for me. So I want to peer at this story for just a moment. As we close out the stuck series and as we tackle this idea of being stuck in sin, I want us to look at the story for a moment and see how an encounter with Jesus can change things. Because we're going to see a woman who went from being revealed to a full realization of who Jesus was. A full realization of what her life was. A full realization of what her life could be. And that same opportunity is here for you this morning. No matter how stuck you are, no matter how deep the sin is, we can move from being revealed to realizing. If you have John 8 open, look at, at verse 3. It, and we see here in John 3, this woman who was revealed, she was revealed by others. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, those are religious types, we talked about them at the beginning of this series, brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand up before the group. She was caught, red-handed. And it was more than a cookie jar. It was more than trying to cut the first three classes of the day. She was caught, and she was made to stand up. She was made to appear in this pop-up court. I want you to know, for those of you that are stuck in sin today, there are always, always going to people who, see, who seem better than us. <laughs> there will always be people who seem better than us. There are always people who think that they are better than us. And there's always going to be people that we think are better than us. And they're going to have their stones ready to cast at us. Verse 4 says, And Jesus, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. So she was caught. She was caught not stealing food. She was caught not, 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 not you know, cheating on her taxes. She was caught in the act of adultery. And when others are revealing us, when we are revealed by others, there's a chance that maybe they know something about us. They know something about our choices. They know something about our sins. And these people have drugged her to Jesus. They caught her in the act. They caught her red-handed and they brought her before Jesus and said, here she is. And the law of Moses says to stone her. The fact is this, the law of Moses does not say to stone her. The law of Moses says that she needs to die. Okay, so let's not, let not skip past the fact that she's guilty. She deserves punishment according to the religious law. 
There's some elements of, of the, the Jewish law that says to stone or to just simply kill. One of the, the rabbi's commentaries on the scripture said she should be strangled to death. That's pretty gruesome no matter what. She has been caught, and according to the laws of these people, she deserves something. She needs to die. But it's important that these guys have the law wrong. Because no matter how damning the, 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 the case that others have on us, we see that they're just as stuck as you and I. We judge other people and go, oh, they've got it all together. They seem to have a great home. They seem to have it all figured out. They seem so good. They seem so pure. They seem so right. Never forget that others, no matter how revealing they can be about us, they're stuck too. They're stuck in something as well. And these guys are teachers of the law, and they've got the law wrong. They're speaking into it whatever they want. They're stuck in their self-righteousness. They're stuck in their judgment. They're stuck in the ignorance of their own sins. Them and the people who want to condemn and convict you. The people in your world that you think have it all together. And if they ever knew all about me, man, they would just stone me or strangle me or kill me. They would crucify my reputation. They would crucify my name. Heaven forbid what they do to me on Facebook and Twitter. They'd get me. They're stuck as much as the woman is stuck. And those people in your world are stuck as much as you are stuck. We're stuck in sin and we're stuck in fear so that we don't respond. This woman doesn't say a thing. She does not say a thing when these people drag her out because she knows what she's done. And very often when people begin to condemn and convict us, we don't say anything either. Because we know that we are revealed. We get frozen. We get frozen because they seem so together. They seem so holy. They seem so correct in their accusations of us. So we remain stuck. We remain revealed to others. And in verse 5, at the back end of that verse, after they tell Jesus they caught her in the act of adultery, after they tell Jesus what the law of Moses says, even though they're wrong, they look at him and they say, now, what do you say? Not only is this woman revealed to others, now she's revealed to Jesus. Jesus knows. You know, sometimes the worst part of getting revealed is when someone that we hold in high regard, someone that we respect, someone that we think holds us in high regard, it's when they find out that's the worst. Forget the crowd holding their stones. It's that when we're drug out there amongst people that we hold in such high esteem that they find out. That's the most difficult part sometimes. But it's a mark of being stuck. I want you to note this. It's a mark of being stuck. The more that we are concerned with what others think of us, the longer we remain stuck in our sin. The less we do about it. The more we hide it. I know this is terrible, but let me hold it inside of myself. We compartmentalize our heart and our soul and our lives. And we say, 90% of me is good. 10% of me is rotten. So I'm going to hold this 10% in because if the 10% gets out, all these people who love the 90% about me, they're going to forget me because of the 10%. That's bad math. That's bad math. That is stuck math. That is sinful math. 
When we are worried about what everyone else thinks, we remain stuck. And it's worse, too, because we think that when our sin gets found out, that's when Jesus gets in on the loop. Oh, man, now Jesus knows if all these other people know. What are we going to do now that the creator of the universe, the perfect, sinless son of God, he knows, he's found out. Even if this woman didn't legitimately, theologically know who Jesus was, she knew who he was socially. We've seen enough over the last couple weeks that Jesus' popularity was rising. In all these different stories in John, we see this, this man who is out healing and performing miracles and teaching boldly. He's showing love and compassion like no teacher before him. So even if she didn't know who exactly he was, she knew enough about him to be like, now he knows It's not just this crowd of bloodthirsty religious types who hold their stones of condemnation. It's this guy who's done so many things, many that maybe she's seen with her very own eyes. He knows. Now he knows. Look at what Jesus does in verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. We're going to come back to that in a little while. But Jesus in love, Jesus in grace, Jesus in the way only Jesus can do, he opened his mouth and he bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. Maybe not so much like what Jesus has done prior to this, is it? Not only does he now know, he doesn't say anything. He kneels down into the ground, he doesn't do anything. When you're caught, when you're caught red-handed, And others condemn you, or maybe that person you hold in high regard finds out, that's painful. But when they don't do anything about it, because we know how guilty we are, and we're saying, get mad at me, yell at me, hit me, do something. And Jesus doesn't do anything, not a word. He just starts to write in the sand with his finger. This is a revelation of who we are. And it just keeps getting worse. The crowd knows, others know, and now Jesus knows. Stuck people don't like this. They don't want to be stuck in sin. They don't want to be stuck in accusation. They don't like this. And Jesus doesn't speak. And the crowd is yelling and condemning. In verse 7, it says, When they kept on questioning Jesus, he straightened up and he finally said something. If any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone. Again, he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Now we see a woman who is not revealed to the crowd, not just revealed to Jesus, she's revealed to herself. John tells us the woman was still standing there often the worst judge in your life is you the very worst judge is you it's us we judge our insides against the outsides of others that's a stuck action that's a stuck thought and when we do that when we take all the crud that's in us the terrible rotten no good things and we judge it against the outside of someone else who seems to have it all together Not only do they go to church, they 
work at church. They serve at church. They're in leadership. Not only do they, do they have a family, they make all of their lunches every single day with organic foods. And, and they, 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 they then take the water and they, they turn it into wine. And then they walk on water to get their children to school on time. And when those kids come home, they read to them every afternoon because they don't have a TV in their house. Who would ever have a TV in their house? Only together people. They don't let the TV babysit them. And then at night, when, when, they, when they get ready to sit down for dinner, that person who's got it all together, they just simply hold their hands out like this, and they look up to the sky, and manna begins to trickle down onto their table, like the fruit basket that comes down in, in Back to the Future, part two. It just lowers down, and there's food for them. And then when they're done, they all go off and they do their homework for the next three hours. And before they go to bed, they gather together as a family and they worship together. And as they're doing it, holding hands, they levitate off of the ground. And all the things that seem wrong in this world are right because this person has it together. Jews and Gentiles gather together. Cats and dogs become friends right in the house of this person. How could I ever, ever have it the way they do? They're so together. You don't know a thing about that person. Not one thing about that person. And for those of you that look at Joel and go, he must have it all together because he wears shorts and sandals while he preaches. And he's got three kids and I only have two. And he's a pastor. I want you to know I'm the most jacked up person in this room. When we judge ourselves on the outsides of others, we are stuck and it will keep us in a cycle of stuckness. This woman is so guilty, so judgmental of herself that she doesn't realize everyone's gone. No one's there. Sin creates a separation. It creates an isolation. It creates a loneliness more than anything for her and for us, for you. Your sin has separated you from God and from others and from even thinking you yourself are worthy of anything, let alone the love of God. It has separated you for far too long. In verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And finally she speaks. And she says in verse 11, no one, sir. She realizes she isn't stuck anymore. She, she has moved from being revealed into realization. She's moved from, from this, this, this being stuck in sin, condemned and revealed by others, revealed to Jesus, revealed to herself letting people stone her, letting, letting the thought that Jesus is going to, to bring down lightning bolts upon her, judging and condemning herself, she realizes it's not anymore. No one, sir. No one. Not the others. Not you. Not me. No one. She's no longer stuck. And friends, the same can be true for you. You today can do a miracle right here in front of us. You can move from being revealed in your sins, caught and trapped and stuck in your sins. You can move to realization. I want you to see how she does it. I want you to see what she realized, and I hope and pray that you'll realize the same things. The first thing she realized is this. She realized that others cannot kill her when they throw their stones. And you can realize this too. Others cannot kill you when they throw their stones. It may hurt. It may sting. They may be right. 
But that pain will only remain if you let it. And sadly, a lot of us are stuck today because we've let the judgment of others hang on to our hearts and our souls and our lives for far too long. We're not just stuck in sin. We're being stuck in the judgment of others. James 4.12 says this, there is only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who is that person to cast that stone? Who are they? They're not the judge. They're not the lawgiver. Only one, only Jesus is. She realized that their stones may hurt, but not as much as being separated from God isolated from his love. Many of you today are separated from God and it hurts and it stings and you will let it stay because you're worried about what others are going to think about you, what they're going to say tomorrow when you go, I got saved today. My life changed because of the grace of Jesus Christ. My life changed because of the gospel. And they're going to look at you tomorrow and be like, hold on, are you the same guy that was out with us on Friday? Are you the same person that did this? You're going to let that hold you in separation and isolation from a relationship with God. You don't have to be stuck anymore. Realize that what they say will not kill you. The second thing she realized is this. She realized that Jesus wasn't going to throw a stone at her. So you and I need to realize that Jesus will not throw a stone. It is completely out of his character. He came for a much greater, more powerful purpose. 1 John 2.1 says this, My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That word advocate is a legal word. It was used by John in a legal sense. And it was somebody who came when no one else would and stood next to you in court. They stood next to you and said, I know this person. I believe in this person. I think this person deserves another chance. They would come and stand next to you. Jesus Christ cannot throw stones at the person that he has come to stand next to, that he has come to be an advocate for. And that person is you. Jesus is ready to come by your side. Jesus came to stand with us. That's why it's powerful in verse 10 of our, of our text in John 8 today when it says that Jesus straightened up. He'd been stooped down writing in the sand. But at the right moment, when grace comes through, Jesus stood up. He straightened up. He did exactly what he's come to earth to do. He rose to stand with her, and he rises to stand with you. No matter how guilty you are, he rises to stand with you. The third thing she realized is this. She realized that she wasn't created to throw stones. We need to realize the same thing. You were not created to throw stones. You weren't created to throw stones at yourself. You weren't created to throw stones at others. This is not why you were put on earth. So drop the stones. Acts, 13, Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Put the stones down so you can receive love and mercy. As Jesus was riding in the dirt, as he was riding in the dirt, as he was riding in the dirt, he wasn't not being in the situation. He was not, not showing grace or love. He was waiting for the right moment to have love 
break through to this woman, she realizes this is not what I'm here for. An encounter with him is what I'm here for. So our big idea is this. The only thing that needs to remain stuck is sin. The only thing that needs to remain stuck is sin. Not our religion. Not our relationships. Not our, our circumstances. Not our stuff. Not our sin. That remains stuck. You and I, we can move forward. We're being called to trust Jesus and to walk from a life of stuckness. So we need to let our sin and our shame and our guilt and our pain and our stones remain stuck. But not you and I. We can move forward. We can have a different life. In verse 6, in the middle of this story, it says that the Pharisees were using these questions. They were asking Jesus, what do we do with her? What do we do with her? What do we do with her? They were asking this as a trap, it tells us in order to have a basis to accuse him. They were testing Jesus. They were trying to to bait Jesus. They were trying to trap him. Because Jesus was was trapped here, or so they thought. He was trapped between the law of the land and the law of Moses. See, if Jesus said to them, go ahead and execute her. She deserves it. What Jesus was doing is he was breaking the law of being in a Roman land. The Romans ruled this land. And it was the Romans who determined who got executed and who didn't. That's why Jesus, when he was executed, had to be taken before the Roman rulers. Because if they just simply executed Jesus, they would have broken the law. So they took him before the Roman rulers and said, what do we do with this man? And these Pharisees knew if Jesus says executor, he was breaking the law of the land. So they're trying to trap him. If he says execute him, he's in trouble. But see, then they had another thing against him, or so they thought. They had the law of Moses, the Jewish religious law if, they, if Jesus didn't do anything, he was going to seem weak on sin. So they're trying to trap Jesus between the Roman law and the Jewish law. We got him now. What they didn't count for is the law of grace. The law of grace, Jesus drops on them. And he says, which one of you can really judge? Which one of you does not have sin? Which one of you can do this? And that's why he looks at her at the end and he says, leave your life of sin. It's a different type of law here. Not a Roman law, not a Jewish law. It is a God law. It is a grace law. It is a love law. And this love, this grace, this mercy, this law comes down before her and it changes everything. Because it doesn't take sin lightly. She was guilty. And so are we. We deserve everything that the world and God should throw at us. But Jesus says the law of grace is different. It offers a chance to leave that sin. It offers a chance to become different. And this law of grace is one that's determined by love and compassion in a righteous and just God who says that he does not want one to perish. He does not want you to remain stuck in your sin. He does not want you to perish because of your sin. So he sends Jesus to say to us that even though we're guilty, he will take the brunt of it. Even though we're guilty, he will stand in front of us and take the punishment. Even though we're guilty, we can have life. That's why in John 8, 34, at the end of this chapter, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who is a sin is a slave to sin. And now sins have, a no, have no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And Jesus says in verse 36, so if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you, you are free indeed. I got a traffic ticket a few years back. I like traffic tickets. I get them a lot. And I was really guilty on this one. 
speeding really fastly. I mouthed off to the cop because I'm a jerk. And he wrote on the ticket, do not settle. So I could not call and pay the fine over the phone. He was so mad at me because I was such a jerk. And if we weren't here in church, I would probably use other words because I was them too. He said, don't settle. Make him go to court. So I did. I was totally screwed. I was going to get points on my record I and mean, all that kind of stuff. So I went to court. And I didn't plan this. I didn't try to manipulate this. I didn't get a lawyer or nothing. I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to take my punishment because I'm guilty. And I got into court and I was sitting in my seat and they're calling off the cases and finally they say, Hamilton County versus Joel Patrick Reynolds. And I walk up front and I stand before the judge and he looks up at me and he goes, I know you. You're the youth pastor at my church. Awesome. He said, you really blew it, didn't you? Yes, sir. He said, you should be in big trouble. Yes, sir. I could do this and this and this. Yes, sir. He said, but I know you. I know that's not who you really are. I know you've made a bad choice and had a bad day and made a bad decision. You're guilty, but I know you. He said, go and speed no more. Every single one of us. Every single one of us are so stuck in our sins that we deserve everything that God deserves to throw upon us. He has every right to do that. But Jesus Christ is willing to stand in front of you and me and say, I know this person. This isn't who they are. They were made for more. You have been made for more. You have been made to not be stuck in sin in relationships, in circumstances, in stuff. You were made for more. So trust the one who is willing to stand up on your behalf and go and sin no more. Let's pray. God, thank you the grace of Jesus. Thank you that it comes to each one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter where we are. Thank you for Jesus. And we've seen the last five weeks that again and again and again, he reaches out to us because he doesn't want us to live a life of being stuck. And for those of us today who are so stuck in our sin that we don't feel we can reach out, may the Holy Spirit give us the power to reach out, to make this one last attempt to take the hand of Jesus who will pull us out of this life of being stuck in sin and give us a life eternal, a life of salvation, of love and grace. Thank you. Thank you for him. And thank you that you listen to what he says on our behalf. And if we trust him and if we put our faith in him today, when we stand before you in judgment, 
He will speak on our behalf. He will say, I know this person. He will say, I have claimed them. They are saved. Father, may we run to you. May we cling to you. May we hold to you today as you offer to us salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.